0: If you are listening to this podcast when it was originally released in July of 2021, it means that there's a good chance at the same time that you're hearing my voice in your ears, some of the most powerful men in the world are gathering in the forest, planning, well, something. And even though it's literally 2021, I do unfortunately just mean men here, not people. Other than a few very rare century old exceptions, only men are welcome in this strange group that meets in the deep forest of Northern California. Each July since 1878, this 2,700-acre collection of cabins, trails, and, well, also a century-old 40-foot-tall concrete Allen shrine has been home to some of the most influential men in the world who have come to gather around its altar to observe rituals, meet, and discuss matters of global significance. Members of this exclusive club include CIA directors and names like former presidents George H.W. Bush, Theodore Roosevelt, Richard Nixon, Herbert Hoover, and Ronald Reagan. Writers like Mark Twain and Jack London, notable celebrities like Clint Eastwood and the journalist Walter Cronkite, and notoriously influential policymakers and global affairs brokers, including Henry Kissinger, Charles Schwab, yes, that Charles Schwab, politician Newt Gingrich, and countless others. Together with power brokers from around the world, some of the richest and most well-connected men in the world meet underneath the cover of massive redwoods to discuss global affairs, away from the eyes of the press and the ears of the public. In fact, in the early 1940s, the Manhattan Project, which led to the development of the atomic bomb, was first planned in the shadow of the towering trees. But before the meetings between world leaders takes place, The attendees must first sit together and observe a strange ritual in which hooded figures emerge from a pond to burn the image of a person before the shadow of the great owl that they've all come to sit beneath. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm a writer, a journalist, and a podcaster. And this is Hiding Something. Season three, Leviathan. Chapter 2. The Cremation of Care The annual meeting that I open the show discussing is known as Bohemian Grove. Starting in the late 1800s, the 2,700-acre campsite in the Redwoods of Northern California have been home to some of the most powerful people in the world who come for a two-week trip every July. Though some of the area's secrecy has been demystified in recent years after some rogue journalists were able to infiltrate the area, it's still a place that holds a high degree of intrigue for its ability to attract some of the most interesting pedigree of guests. And, though the words Bohemian Grove may mostly only be familiar in conspiracy theory circles, it's garnered some mainstream attention in recent years. In fact, back in 2011, even The Washington Post did a story on the area headlined, quote, Bohemian Grove, colon, where the rich and powerful go to misbehave, end quote. Mind you, The Post is no tabloid. It's one of the most venerated newspapers in the world, having been awarded 69 Pulitzers, second only to The New York Times.
1: Every July, some of the richest and most powerful men in the world gather at a 2,700 acre campground in Monte California for two weeks of heavy drinking, super-secret talks, Druid worship, the group insists they are simply quote-unquote revering the Redwoods, and other rituals. Their purpose? To escape the quote-unquote frontier culture or uncivilized interests of common men.
0: That's an excerpt from a piece that ran in the Washington Post in 2011. It continues.
1: The people that gather at Bohemian Grove, who have included prominent business leaders, former U.S. presidents, musicians, and oil barons, are told that quote-unquote weaving spiders come not here, meaning business deals are to be left outside. The club is so hush-hush that little can be definitively said about it, but much of what we know today is from those who have infiltrated the camp, including Texas-based filmmaker Alex Jones.
0: Yes, that Texas-based filmmaker referenced in the article is the Alex Jones, you probably know today. This infiltration by Jones was actually months before 9-11, which Alex Jones and his controversial website InfoWars would use to rise from underground prominence for claiming that the terrorist attack was actually, quote, an inside job. However, at the time that he infiltrated Bohemian Grove, Alex Jones wasn't that well-known. Today, of course, he's a firebrand conspiracy theorist who has been sued by the parents of the victims of the Sandy Hook school shooting tragedy for claiming that the massacre was, quote, a false flag operation orchestrated by covert government agents. However, before Jones became a weird sort of Internet celebrity for his boozy, borderline manic guest appearances on Joe Rogan's podcast, Alex Jones hosted a controversial radio show out of his home in Austin, Texas. It was here, before InfoWars became home to some of the most bonkers theories on the internet, that Jones became a low-level conspiracy theorist, slowly infiltrating online culture after taking his show to the internet in the late 90s. Like many conspiracy theorists, Jones's primary focus seemed to be on what he called the global elite, a group of well-connected business leaders, media tycoons, and politicians that he suggested were secretly controlling the world. And look, no matter what large-scale conspiracy Jones was discussing, it always seemed to circle back to this group of shadowy figures. In the year 2000, Jones's work caught the attention of a journalist and writer named John Ronson, who, at the time, was working on a documentary series called, quote, Secret Rulers of the World and a book called Them, Adventures with Extremists. Even today, Ronson is a well-regarded journalist who is known for blending his flair for spotlighting people on the fringes with true journalistic rigor. Ronson is a great writer and a fantastic and trustworthy journalist. In his book, Them, Ronson recounts embedding himself with Alex Jones to the point that they decided to sneak into a Bohemian Grove meeting with recording equipment, taking themselves directly into the lion's den. The footage they captured was eventually turned into an extremely dramatic documentary by Jones' team, which you can now watch on YouTube. Here's a clip of Jones promoting the film back in 2000.
2: You see, for over 120-plus years in Northern California, in Sonoma County, on a 2,700-acre secluded redwood grove, leaders from around the world, prime ministers, chancellors, presidents, governors— again, the heads of industry, banking, academia, the media, Hollywood, only a select few, a little over 2,000 people travel there to engage in bizarre, ancient Canaanite, Luciferian, Babylon mystery religion ceremonies.
0: I hesitate to even rehash any of Jones's theories because frankly, I don't think he's credible. In fact, I think Alex Jones is dangerous. Alex Jones has a history of perpetuating unfounded or misguided conspiracy theories for personal profit by manipulating people's personal fears and suspicions. However, I do believe John Ronson. And I think he and Jones really did experience something very unsettling when they snuck into the Bohemian Grove meeting two decades ago. Here's John Ronson recently during his appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast, recounting his experience with Jones back in 2000.
2: Some people enjoy because... Like Bohemian Grove, occasionally he's correct. Like Bohemian Grove is a real mind fucked. I when mean, you see all these
3: super rich people wearing robes right. well, burning I was there. and effigy, yeah. I was in the crowd. Yeah. With all the old men of well, wealth and well, power. That, did that freak you out? You see those people? One thing freaked me out. Um I like Alex came out of our Bohemian Grove night with a with, with a varying interpretation of <laughs> What, what, what was your this. interpretation? My interpretation is basically with with one caveat. I'm about to caveat this. Okay. Um my interpretation was that it's just like fucking, you know, skull and bones or yeah, some I agree. sort of Harvard Club. I agree. And, you know, those are all creepy, right? Yeah, and they wanna there is there does seem to be amongst the American ruling elites, there does seem to be a proclivity for ritual. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe amongst the British elites as well, I'm not sure. When
0: Jones and Ronson managed to sneak into the annual meeting, they witnessed something that only a handful of very select people have ever seen before. They witnessed a ceremony called the Cremation of Care. The dramatic ritual is central to the Bohemian Grove experience, and is traditionally performed on the first night of the retreat as a way to set the tone for the coming two weeks. And look, I've seen some of the footage. I'm not gonna lie. It's really weird and frankly, kind of unsettling. In the middle of the odd performance, hooded, quote, ferrymen, dressed in druid-like robes, bring what appeared to be the body of a person to an altar in front of the 40-foot stone owl. Then, they light the body on fire. You can see pictures of the ceremony online. I mean, look, even for conspiracy theory
3: skeptics, it's a strange thing to observe. But what was odd that night? (laughs) <laughs> was <That's> one thing <laughs> <laughs> that the oddest moment and this is where i will this is where my memory of the night does tally with alex is is that for whatever reason the people in the crowd were really into this this ceremony like mm. like there was a sort of they were really fired up by it like some, i remember this old guy walked up to me before it started and said are you a first timer and i went yeah i do, oh, you're going to love it, you're going to love it. It's like, burn him, burn him, like that, or something, something along those lines. Uh, and, and it did make me think, Like, and then I looked behind, and there was Alex and Mike, wide-eyed, looking like they were in, you know, the belly of the beast. And then there's all these old preppy men, like, wide-eyed. They were really into it, too. I felt like the only sane person in the entire Redwood Forest. I was, like, the only person who was thinking, this is just fucking ridiculous.
0: Ronson seems to imply that the secretive ritual he witnessed was more of an act of extremely exclusive theater, opposed to some sort of satanic ritual. But listen, the details are odd. And look, it's not the only strange meeting of global elites that are frequently happening.
4: Welcome back to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. Now it's time for The Buried Lead. That's a story we do not think is getting enough play. When you think of secret societies, you think of groups of rich old men, like Mr. Burns from The Simpsons, sitting around a ridiculously long table, all trying to top each other with their best diabolical laugh. It makes for a fun cartoon. But in reality, such societies and secretive meetings do exist. And what is going on right now behind closed doors in England?
0: That's a clip from a 2013 episode of CNN's The Lead with Jake Tapper. Again, it's a relatively credible news show, even if you do have some personal opinions about the political leanings of the host or the network. The Bilderberg
4: Group is a meeting of the most influential people in Europe and North America. Wall Street investors, business moguls, politicians, royalty. They're all coming together and keeping the media and everyone else out. What are they discussing? What are they plotting? Doesn't the public have a right to know? Well, apparently no. Though, what they chat about could very well end up impacting your 401k or who knows what else. Security was tight today at the Grove Hotel in this leafy area north of London. 140 members of the global elite arrived here for a top-secret, hush-hush, off-the-record conference in the English countryside. How's this for a guest list? The head of the International Monetary Fund, former Treasury Secretary Tim Geithner, the heads of Amazon.com, Google, and BP Oil, former General and CIA Director David Petraeus, And what's a top secret cabal of puppet masters without Henry Kissinger? All of them came here today for the Bilderberg Conference.
0: Every year since 1954, the meeting's been held at the super luxurious Bilderberg Hotel in the Netherlands. The conference draws some of the most powerful, well-connected, and wealthy individuals in the world. And like Bohemian Grove, the actual goings-on of the meetings are extremely secretive. It's that secrecy, like Bohemian Grove, that has drawn its own share of conspiracy theories and protest. Though there aren't any rumored rituals before an owl god, Bilderberg critics do share a similar concern as those worried about the goings-on at Bohemian Grove. They're concerned about a global New World Order consolidating power and taking over humanity, all while hiding their actual meetings effectively, in plain sight. Are their fears founded? Well, it's a concern that Bilderberg insiders have done little to quell. In fact, in 2001, one of the group's founders, Dennis Healy told reporters this, to say that we are striving for a one world government is exaggerated, but not wholly unfair. Those of us in Bilderberg felt we couldn't go on forever, fighting one another for nothing and killing people and rendering millions homeless. We felt that a single community throughout the world would be a good thing, end quote. Other meetings like the World Economic Forum held at the Davos retreat in Sweden, the group's stated mission is to bring together global leaders to set their own global agenda. Their website flatly states, quote, the forum engages the foremost political, business, cultural and leaders of society to shape global, regional and industry agendas, end quote. The site continues, we believe that progress happens by bringing together people from all walks of life who have the drive and influence to make positive change. End quote. Okay, Bohemian Grove is objectively weird, and it's actually kind of scary, but the organizers of both Davos and Bilderberg are clear that even though their institutions are built around the idea of exclusivity, their stated intentions are essentially to bring powerful people together to fight problems facing the world. We're going to talk more about Davos later this season, but it's important to note that the group does actually make their agenda available to the public. Outwardly, secretive retreats where global leaders come to set quote, global, regional, and industry agendas sound kind of scary, but in fairness, at least outwardly, they seem concerned with affecting some degree of positive impact. I mean, at least outwardly. But these meetings do beg the question, how long have secretive groups of global leaders been meeting behind the scenes? You're probably wondering why we're opening this episode by talking about the Bilderberg Group, Davos, and strange meetings at Bohemian Grove. In the last episode, we discussed two mysteries. The first looked at what exactly is underneath a small island off the coast of Canada, where odd artifacts and strange inscriptions have been found for decades. The second looked at just who is responsible for a massive monument called the Georgia Guidestones, which outline a set of sinister instructions for a post-apocalyptic world. For both mysteries, there are a few clues that I want to investigate. Let's start with the Georgia Guidestones. The man who commissioned them went by a fake name, R.C. Christian. The only physical records of his true identity were held by a banker named Wyatt Martin, who apparently destroyed the documents before he died. However, in 2010, a filmmaker named Christian Pinto released a documentary called Dark Clouds Over Elberton, in which he appears to trick Martin into giving him an address supposedly linked to the real R.C. Christian. Now look, there's a few reasons why I initially hesitated discussing this clue, particularly because of some of the ethical concerns that some viewers have expressed about the way that Martin was treated by the filmmakers. But. Because of a set of other clues that have come to light since the film's release, it seems relevant that the documentary, despite its flaws, is at least part of the discussion. The address that Martin revealed to the filmmakers was linked to a man named Dr. Herbert H. Kirsten. But there's also another clue I want to discuss that seems to possibly confirm the filmmakers' assumptions, but it has nothing to do with Wyatt Martin. Part of the reason it's reasonable to suspect that Kirsten could actually be the real R.C. Christian is that in 2005, the newspaper, The Des Moines Register, ran an obituary for a man named Dr. Herbert H. Kirsten, who had died at the age of 85. The obituary mostly contains information about his family and his career as a surgeon, but it also includes these lines. I'm going to quote from the actual obituary here. He was an avid bridge player, a former recreational pilot, and a conservationist who loved nature and trees. He was a naturalist who was very involved in environmental and world population issues. Dr. Kirsten held a broad vision of humanity in a myriad of personal and academic interests, which he pursued with diligent and thorough research." End quote. Okay, so the obituary doesn't directly point to his involvement with the Georgia Guidestones, but considering that the Guidestones' commandments are centered around the idea of strict population control, it's an interesting coincidence. I mean, who includes interest in environmental and world population issues in an obituary right behind Avid Bridge Player? The other major clue that we have is the name R.C. Christian, which Guidestone critics have long suspected was some sort of code. And on that point, they may be right. Okay, things are going to get a little complicated here, so stay with me. This rabbit hole gets pretty deep. The address that linked Guidestone documents to Dr. Kirsten was located in Fort Dodge, Iowa, a town that was also home to a man named Robert Merriman, who had deep ties to the publishing industry. In fact, in the late 1960s, he was the treasurer of a large publishing company that would go on to purchase the Fort Dodge Messenger, where he would serve as the paper's general manager until the late 70s. Okay, from here, I need to preference that, though, online there are references to Merriman and Kirsten being friends. I couldn't find any direct links, but I'll explain why possible links could be important soon. In the early 1990s, a columnist for the South Florida Sun Sentinel named James Driscoll received a letter from a concerned reader who seemed to be interested in promoting ideas being championed by David Duke, an openly racist politician who was once even the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Driscoll wrote that the letter was from, quote, an Iowa physician, Herbert H. Kirsten of Fort Dodge. Driscoll recounted this, Duke, he said as my skin crawled, voices many beliefs held by reasonable Americans. It is unfortunate that more acceptable public figures are not pushing similar views. Driscoll was clearly deeply disturbed by the letter that he got from Kirsten. He continued, the rest of Dr. Kirsten's letter supported the protection of American workers, criticized job quotas, and outlined why he thinks there should be strict limits on immigration, because our environment, workforce, and education systems can't absorb more people. He urged America to help other nations help themselves, but not to shoulder the world's burdens, end quote. The idea that Dr. Kirsten expressed in that letter support a white supremacist, and they're not too far disassociated from other concepts linked to eugenics. Remember, the message on the Guidestones had deep eugenic implications. Okay, so stay with me here. A few years before that letter was sent, a book called, quote, Common Sense Renewed was published by a small publisher based in Iowa by a publisher that had direct ties to Robert Merriman. It's an odd book dedicated to the controversial founding father, Thomas Paine. Remember that name. It's going to be important soon. In the book's introduction, it claims to be, quote, the first steps in creating an enduring age of reason, end quote. That term, age of reason, it's featured on the Guidestones. The author of that book, his name, Robert Christian. Oh yeah, there's something else important to note here. The name Kirsten can also be translated to the word Christian in German. The speculation is that Merriman and Kirsten teamed up to publish the book and possibly orchestrate the construction of the Guidestones. The evidence is really interesting, but I'm not sure it totally passes the burden of proof. After all, aside from the documents shown in the film, which just aren't possible for me to independently verify, there's nothing that links Merriman or Kirsten directly to the Guidestones. The evidence is pretty circumstantial. And when it comes to the Guidestones, there are a ton of rumors out there. There's even a pretty compelling theory that links media mogul Ted Turner, who bases media empire in Atlanta, not far from the Guidestones, and is a longtime proponent of population control. I personally don't think he's involved, but it's an interesting theory. But if Kirsten and Merriman are behind the monument in the book, it would answer a lot of questions. For a minute, let's unpack that Thomas Paine link. His connection seems more direct, and Merriman was connected to the publisher that printed the odd book dedicated to him. And remember, the words Age of Reason appeared directly on the stones. Paine was a philosopher who wrote books including one called Common Sense and one called The Age of Reason in which he openly attacked organized religion. He also discussed the origins of Freemasonry, a topic he was deeply, deeply interested in and wrote about all the time. He went as far as to write that Freemasonry is, quote, the remains of the religion of the Druids. Thomas Paine continued, the religion of the Druids, as I said before, was the same as the religion of the ancient Egyptians. The priests of Egypt were the professors and teachers of science. They were the styled priests of Helopolis, that is, of the City of the Sun, End quote. In addition to his fascination with Freemasonry and Druid rituals, Paine has also long been linked to a secretive group known as the Rosicrucians. They're a secret society whose origins date back to the early 1400s, and have been linked to powerful figures like the philosopher Sir Francis Bacon, another historical figure long associated with the occult and the secret society. In fact, some scholars believe that Paine was an actual member of the Rosicrucian Fraternal Order. Their manifestos and beliefs can be esoteric and complicated, but they've long been deeply interested in alchemy, the occult, Freemasonry, mysticism, hidden knowledge, and secret codes. They take their name from a legendary and possibly fictional figure named Christian Rosencruz and have also adopted imagery and symbolism related to their alternative name, quote, Fraternity of the Rose Cross. We'll be talking a lot more about them in future episodes, but they were founded as a sort of den of underground thought leaders. Thomas Paine and fellow founding father Ben Franklin were close, and both have even been linked to the Rosicrucian movement. Some scholars even say that the two's fascination with the secret society led to the Masonic symbolism that can be found throughout Washington, D.C. and on our currency. Before secret societies and weird meetings of powerful people and rituals, like the ones at Bohemian Grove, drew American presidents and policymakers, there were Freemasons and very likely Rosicrucians pulling major influence in power broker circles. It's not hard to see why some people have linked R.C. Christian to the Rosicrucians. I mean, Christian Rosencruz, Fraternity of the Rose Cross, R.C. So, even if Merriman and Curson aren't involved in the Guidestones, with all of the symbolism and Thomas Paine references, the link to the Rosicrucians is strong. Okay, so, where does Oak Island fit into this mystery? some scholars though notably not all believe that for a time the rosicrucians were heavily influenced by sir francis bacon who in the early 1600s began to write a very strange book called new atlantis he died before he could finish it and look there are even people who believe that francis bacon was an actual leader in the rosicrucian movement The book New Atlantis is dense with symbolism and weird rituals, and it describes a fictional mysterious island which is home to a future utopian society. There, on that mysterious island, they founded an institution that Payne referred to as Solomon's House. In the book, Solomon's House is home to highly advanced knowledge and wildly priceless treasures. The work is also rumored to be laced with ciphers. Some scholars have proposed that Bacon was leaving one last mysterious clue before he died. They believe that the island in the book might actually be a reference to Oak Island in Canada. Some theorists have even claimed that codes in the book lead to astronomical mappings that point directly to an area where Oak Island can be found. But why Oak Island? What's the significance of Solomon's house? Why would Francis Bacon, a possible Rosicrucian, pin a strange novel before his death that is possibly a coded reference to a small island off the coast of Canada? Well, here's where the rabbit hole starts to get a little deeper. The Rosicrucians and the Freemasons have been thought to be directly linked with another historic group known as the Knights Templar, a group who was also known as the Order of Solomon's Temple. A military group established in the 1100s, part of their job was to find and protect religious Christian artifacts during the Crusades. Among them were rumored to be the Holy Grail and the Ark of the Covenant. According to some scholars' speculation, as the chaos of the Crusades swept the Middle East and Europe, the Templar turned to a group known to have mastered hidden codes, ciphers, and deep symbolism to hide the artifacts, leaving only deeply-veiled clues to their location. According to legend, that group, who would become the Rosicrucians, found a place to hide the priceless treasures and artifacts linked to strange hidden knowledge on a remote island only to be found by a future generation enlightened enough to connect the dots. The mysteries have led to some interesting speculation, but what can we actually confirm when discussing secret societies who some believe may be conspiring to control humanity? The next clue may lie in a hollowed out mountain in a remote corner of Pennsylvania that you and I were never supposed to find out about. That's next time on Hiding Something. Hiding Something is an ironclad original. All episodes are written by me, Jesse Carey. Our post-production producer is Chandler Strang. Hey, if you like the show, be sure to leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to connect with more listeners of the show, be sure to check out the Hiding Something subreddit. All right, everyone, we'll see you next time.
2: Hi, I'm Today, I'd like to tell you about the five beautiful communities known as Falconhead. Falconhead. This collection of five master-planned communities is between Lakeway and Bee Cave. It's about 18 miles southwest of downtown Austin, Falconhead. and just two miles from extensive shopping and dining, such as the Hill Country Galleria, which features a movie theater, an HEB, and a Whole Foods Market, and a number of casual dining options. Some of my favorites include The League, a popular gastropub, The Grove, a busy wine bar with Bistro Fair, Santa, Santa Catarina's head, Salcon upscale Salcon interior Salcon Mexican, Salcon Mexican head, Salcon food, Salcon and Thai at Madame Mann's. Falcon Head has Falcon five head, distinct Falcon sections, head, with Falcon a variety Falcon of lot head, sizes head, and architectural Falcon styles. Head, the Spillman, head, Falcon Spillman Falcon Ranch Falcon and Falconhead Head sections are the main portion of the neighborhood, with brick and natural stone exteriors. The Heights of Falcon Head is a gated community of luxury golf homes. Falcon Head West resembles the original section, but is West and has a separate Highway 71 entrance. Amenities of any brand a golf club, a public and membership, for playing. jogging and biking trails, are also South as South African South